Welcome to this final episode of this first season of the CPA Podcast. We started in Newfoundland and we've now made it all the way across the country to Vancouver. My name is Eric Bowman. I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. I'd like to thank every Canadian psychologist who participated in this first season. Dr. Janine Hubbard in Newfoundland, Dr. Yael Goldberg and Stephen Shanebard in Toronto, Dr. Ben C.H. Kuo in Windsor, Dr. Heather Hadjus-Dobropoulos in Regina, and today's guest, Christine Coral in Vancouver. A reminder that five of those experts will be co-hosting a CPA webinar December 10th about COVID and the Canadian winter. Details are in the show notes of this podcast if you have any questions to submit or comments to make. There will be more one-off episodes of Mindful before our second season begins in the spring, but for now, let's close out this first season with my guest and our Mindful returning champion in Vancouver. I'm Dr. Christine Coral. I'm a psychologist at the Vancouver Anxiety Center and an adjunct professor at the, at the Department of Psychology at UBC. Great. And what we want to talk about today is depression and anxiety heading into the winter months and what some might consider to be a second lockdown uh, because of the coronavirus and the measures that are being taken to um, stop the spread of it. And I'm wondering if you've seen an uptick, an uptick in the amount of people exhibiting symptoms of anxiety and of depression over the last little while, and is that going to get worse? Well, I've certainly, uh, my practice is full. It's, it's actually beyond full, but you know that's not unusual for me. Um, but yeah, certainly inquiries I would say are up. Uh, the and the news I was hearing that uh, only about fifteen percent of British Columbians are accessing counselling services, but crisis lines are ringing off the hook. So more people are reaching out. So I'm not sure, you know, if it's how much worse things are, or because of the pandemic, there's less stigma just saying you're struggling and people are reaching out more, but certainly the volume uh, does seem to be up. And in your practice, when you're talking to a lot of these people, are you seeing, I mean, presumably you have many clients who have been struggling with these things, anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. before this all took place. Are you seeing changes uh, with them? Has it made a big difference or are they still sticking to the same sort of treatment plans and going through the same things they were before? Oh no, it's way more challenging right now. Um, I would say that uh, it's, it's a lot of the things that we do to treat depression or that psychologists do to treat depression include things like behavioral activation and we get people to go out with friends and go to the gym and, and increase their activity levels. So that's been challenging helping my my clients with depression because a lot of the options we had to treat depression are just gone. And so we've had to be more creative. Uh, treating social anxiety is extremely challenging right now because you know, we just to try and get people to get out there and connect with others. And we've had to find new ways. Now, it's not impossible, and I'm actually using social media a lot to help people um, connect with with other um, you know, old friends and family members and um, and reach out, but it's it's not quite the same. So that's more challenging too. And there's just been a lot of stress. It's you know a, a lot of what I found in therapy I'm doing is having people come in and not really knowing why they're struggling. 
and they're just trying to keep on doing as much as they could do before. And I've been really working with them to say, okay, let's look at everything that's changed in your life. You know, and a lot of people were stressed by the U.S. election and watching that closely. Right. And were quite exhausted after that, I found. And so I said, well, you know, the U.S. election just happened. You're working from home 24-7. You haven't seen another person, you know, from work in, a, you know, in months. Uh, your kids are making noise in the background while you're trying to work. Like, we'll add up all the things that have been going on in their lives, and they'll go, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And everybody's just sort of compartmentalizing everything and and just trying to, you know, push their way through. And I've been trying to have people just use surviving this year as, a win and not worrying about accomplishing more, recognizing the impact that the changes in workflow have on your body and your sleep. I mean, if you're working in your bedroom, it makes it is, I've seen a lot more insomnia, insomnia inquiries. Actually. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with how people are working. And a lot of people are working in their bedroom because it's the only quiet space and, uh, you know, either from roommates or from family. And if you're busy working in your bedroom, that disrupts your sleep. So it's this vicious cycle of all these things that have sort of thrown us off that, um, you know, certainly make treatment more challenging, but people aren't necessarily aware of how that's impacting their mental health. Right. And you, you mentioned that a lot of the time your advice is to go out uh, with friends or to go to the gym yeah. to be active in some way. And coming up on the winter months, going outside appears to be a little bit more of a daunting task than it does during the summertime. Uh, is there a way to get around that? Is there a way to suggest to people just take the plunge, get your winter coat on and go outside anyway, take that walk? Yeah. Or here in Vancouver, your raincoat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. A little easier for us here. <laughs> so I do, I do tell people to follow the public health guidelines. So I have a lot of people, you know, because I, I, I have an anxiety clinic, I see people are more anxious, and so they're very cautious. So I don't have a lot of people upset about wearing masks. Or, so I push people to, you know, they're going beyond public health guidelines, a lot of the folks I see. So I'm pushing them to, you know, listen to Dr. Henry, and, you know, she says go outside for walks. And then, you know, there was some confusion about one of the last public health orders that happened here in B.C. And then they clarified, um, the health minister and the public health officer clarified, no, you can go for walks with one other person. Just make sure it doesn't turn into a big gathering. So listening to those clarifications, um, you know, a, a good way to get some of those questions answered is actually to tweet uh, your minister of health, <laughs> and then they often put it into the briefing the next day. It's quite surprising. So a lot of them are, are following their Twitter feeds and listening, and there's a way to sort of get those questions answered or to connect with a reporter, actually, who could ask those questions. They could be part of the, the Q&A session, uh, you know, as part of the press briefings that the public health office has. So that can be a good way to get clarification because it is really confusing. And one of the things that really helps alleviate people's anxiety and increases their adherence to public health orders is the communications plan. And so a lot of people who work in health, uh, they're doing their best, but it's, it's, it's a steep learning curve for them how to get, how to roll out communications in the most effective way. So it's going to have to be a conversation 
between us and the people uh, making these plans and explaining to people why we have to do what we do, but also what we need to do that's um, good for our mental health and safe. There is a way to get through this, you know, relatively okay. Um, so if you're feeling stuck, a, a therapist can certainly help, but you, you do need to go outside. You do need to stay connected to people. As human beings, we, we need activity and we need connection. And if that disappears entirely, then we're going to have a harder time. So there are ways to do it, but we just have to be careful. And speaking of being and careful. Focus on, oh, <laughs> oh I, I'm, I'm just thinking. You're, you're mentioning that people are going on Twitter and actually tweeting their uh, you know local health professionals and uh, getting their yeah. information that way so that they can be up to date. But they're also feeling stress about the recent U.S. election, which is not seemingly oh, yeah. over in some way. Uh, no. How dangerous is it to spend a lot of time on Twitter? Uh, I think it depends on how, if, if you can take it with a grain of salt. I mean, you can you can put filters on. Uh, I know my husband told me he he put a filter on so that no Trump news comes through his feed. <laughs> and, and, uh, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. And that's kind of why I go on. My, um, my daughter's social studies teacher told them, you know, if you watch too much news, it can make you anxious. And she said, I thought my mom watches news all the time and she's not anxious. So, you know, I, I try to keep up on the news because I see so many people who are anxious about the various stories. So um, I like to be informed so I can, help them um, understand the stories critically. Uh, and so there's a way to listen to the news. If you have a critical view, if you try and take a bigger picture that this is a moment in time, um, if you have some trusted sources that you find reassuring um, and, and give you a broader perspective, that can be a good way to watch the news. Ultimately, with anxiety treatment, we don't try and keep people away from information or the news because you never know when it's going to hit you. You know, it's not a good strategy to try and block stuff out mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, no matter what you do, you could have the radio on listening to music and then, you know, a, a news bulletin comes across. And uh, if, if you can't take those hits from the media, so a lot of it with the media is sort of understanding that their goal is to get people to listen and so they'll write the stories in a way that keeps you engaged. And one of the best ways to keep people engaged is with fear. So if you can take that with a grain of salt and stay informed, that can be helpful. But there is something to be said to, uh, to be said for not having the news on 24 seven, because, you know, after any news station, you, you listen to it for half an hour, you, you've got everything you probably don't even need to listen to it for half an hour. Right. Um, so having it on in the background all, all day long, you know, obsessively checking your Twitter, um, you know, looking when it start when you start looking for reassurance online, then that can be a problem. So this is where it's, you know, it's more nuanced and sort of hard to sort out how much <laughs> time and how you approach it. You want, you want to not be afraid of it, but you don't want to become obsessed with it. So there's, the, you know, this happy medium. I get that. If that I, makes I, any sense. <laughs> it makes perfect sense. I have an, a filter installed on my Google Chrome browser uh, where mm-hmm. it doesn't block out any of the Donald Trump news, but every time there is Donald Trump news, it inserts a quote of his into his name. So every time I see something about it, it's Donald, I have the best words, Trump, or Donald, I'm a stable genius, oh. Trump. 
And so that, that's hilarious. It's quite great. <laughs> and uh, it uh, sort of uh, lessens the uh, fear one might feel from uh, hearing well, all of these stories. Yeah. And humor is such a good way to do that, you know, just to, uh, um, you know, put it in perspective. You know, anxiety is usually we're very narrowly focused and we think this is terrible and we're never going to get past it. And when you you broaden the perspective um, and I think if there's a new story that uh, is upsetting, then to think about, well, what can we do to make this situation better or how can it be handled? So, you know, one thing that's upsetting a lot of people right now, you know, the people who are against masks are mad at people wearing masks. The people who uh, are wearing masks are mad at those not wearing masks. And I, I, you know, what I've been telling them is, well, you know, it's not your job to enforce mask wearing. You know, that's up to the public health office. And so if you have concerns, you know, raise it with the public health office. But don't try and, you know, we've got to be patient with each other. We've got to be calm, cool, and collected and be smart about it. The other thing that's been upsetting a lot of people I've been working with is um, how many people seem to believe conspiracy theories Mm -hmm. and what to do about that. And that's, that's again, a bigger thing that we can't fix on our own. You know, that that involves uh, probably regulating social media companies. And how they disseminate information, it uh, is probably also, well, it, it, from my reading, it does seem to be up to government uh, to be more transparent in how they make decisions and why we're doing what we're doing and explaining to people some of the things that might seem scary on the surface but actually have a good reason. So it's, it's the communications plan seems to be the best way to... Uh, counteract conspiracy theories, as well as just improving well-being of people. So people are more vulnerable to conspiracy theories if they um, are struggling, if they're underemployed or um, there's a lot of violence in the community. So so that is a breeding ground for conspiracy theories as well. So there's, there's usually like a bigger solution, but we can, you know, Bug our, bug our, I always say bug, bug your politicians, bug your MPs in MLAs because, right. you know, they're representing us and, you know, that's what they're there for. So, you know, we need to be more engaged and sort of demanding some of the changes and, and uh, approaches uh, to situations. And that's how they're going to become educated, too. They're people right, that are in a role that's sort of new for them. Yeah. And uh, and so we need to bring our concerns so we can work together as a community to solve some of these problems. But getting mad at people who believe in conspiracy theories, like, what are you going to do? You're, you'll drive yourself crazy. That's not the way to approach it. No, that's true. But at the same time, I think that there's there's something different about the conspiracy theories that we're seeing now, right? Like, Back in the day, it was, oh, we never really landed on the moon and the whole thing was faked and oh, it was yeah. a hoax and whatever. And you can kind of go, okay, yeah, like it's silly and wrong, but you're not harming anybody. You believe what you believe, right? You think the earth is flat? Mm-hmm. Great. Have at it, right? Nobody gets hurt by that. Yeah. But when the conspiracy theory is, you know, COVID is invented or it's spread by 5G or it's being overblown by the government so they can control us with microchips when Bill Gates is involved somehow, right? Then then it does become an actual public health danger 
that I think yeah. people react to differently than they would just about any other kind of conspiracy theory that we see. Well, I think like one of the first uh, big public health conspiracies that that really took off and and gained larger public awareness was, uh, you know, the the anti vaxxers Yeah. And and feeling that you know there's mercury in it or it causes autism. And it doesn't matter how much you debunk the story, uh, it just keeps going on and on and on. And there is some research to show that people who uh, are more likely to be anti-vax are, uh, also have needle phobia. Mm, right. <laughs> I read that, I went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. How convenient. So, yeah. uh, so there's often a fear. You know, we need to have compassion for people who... We'll hang on to this. And, you know, as humans, we, we want to try and explain things. We want to understand. We don't want things to be random and scary. And and so, you know, having a conspiracy feels safer to people than, you know, a virus that's just running amok or right. that autism just happens, you yeah. know, and, and or even that autism is that awful. I mean, there's a spectrum, right? So, you know, there's sort of a movement for neurodiversity which is important and and respecting that and so you know one of the harmful things you know of, of the anti-vaccination movement is just sort of saying you know there's there's only one way to be and that you know we, we don't want this to happen to our kids and so everyone with autism is like well what's wrong with us right right yeah, you know, yeah. it's really funny you know i think a lot of the answers to this is just thinking about the world the way psychologists think about the world because you can actually stay quite calm and you go, oh yeah that's what humans do and it's like okay well how do i solve this puzzle how do i solve this puzzle of conspiracy theories how do i solve this puzzle of helping people feel more confident about uh, public health orders how do i help people feel less nervous about getting vaccinated how do I deal with some of those objections and what's the psychology behind it? Instead of saying, Oh, they should know better. They should do this. You know, judging people never really helps. And often people are doing things for a good reason. You know, nobody wants to be a jerk. Nobody wants, you know, people are acting out of fear or uh, um, not understanding the data or, uh, and you know what? Sometimes there is some shady stuff going on. Like, look at uh, back to the U.S. election. Look at what what Trump is doing, saying, you know, there's all this voter fraud when there's no evidence of it. You know, there are there are we're starting to see some people quite high up uh, promote these conspiracy theories because it it helps sow doubt and uh, wreaks havoc and they, whatever their reason is, you know, they have their reasons for doing it. So sometimes, you know, you want to, uh, listen to people and see if there might be some truth in there, if there's something that we should be paying attention to. And I think that, you know, what we're coming up against soon, uh, presuming that these vaccines get approved and that they go forward is sort of a confluence of these, uh, various conspiracy, uh, beliefs the anti-vax and the anti-covid and all of the rest of it uh when the vaccination becomes available how many people are going to take it so how do we approach that from the thinking of a psychologist 
Well, you know, sometimes people surprise me. You know, I was really uh, surprised at the beginning of the school year that so many kids went back to the classroom. I actually predicted that uh, people would be kind of nervous and, you know, there'd be more homeschooling. But I think it was here in BC, about 80% went back. So I went, oh, okay. I was, I, I was thinking it would be 50 50 uh, based on some of the, the, the fear that I was hearing. Um, but so we don't know, you know, when, when the vaccine's available, we'll see if the fear of the virus trumps the fear of the, um, the vaccine. And I just, I just remember when H1N1 was problematic and I was living in Calgary at the time and working at Alberta Children's Hospital. So I could get my vaccination when it was available at the hospital, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I couldn't get my kids vaccinated. And so uh, I ended up having to take them to this, uh, to the, the, the Olympic Oval, where they had the speed skating events for the 1988 Olympics. That's where they did the vaccinations. It was on the campus of the University of Calgary. And I got there early, and I, I, I couldn't believe the lineup. We were in line about six hours to get this vaccine. Wow. And, and uh, when... And it was moving, you know, the line was moving. And I'm like, how long is this line? Because I couldn't see the front of it. And uh, I think we got there at 6 (laughs) a.m. or something crazy. And uh, we got one of the last spots inside. Like there's a long hallway into the oval um, that goes almost, you know, across campus. So uh, we waited and waited. And I couldn't believe all the people that came. And I went, well, this is good. People don't seem to be afraid of getting vaccinated. And when we got to the front, I couldn't believe how many nurses were up there um, just going full tilt, getting everyone their vaccines. So when it actually is available, we'll see. You know, um, there might be more people than we think that are are willing to go. Um, You know, certainly I think the first round of vaccination is going to go to high-risk people. Then I'm thinking healthcare professionals and um and then i'm sure there's going to be lineups for it so i think everybody who wants to get vaccinated um you know they're going to be waiting in line to get it anyway so oh, we'll see so. well yeah. uh, then we'll see what we're dealing with you know the people who don't you know we do have to accept that we're autonomous adults <laughs> we can make our choices and uh if they don't want to get vaccinated then we need to do better to look at ways to reassure people that you know it's safe and uh, and, a, and a reasonable option for them. And if they if they don't, then uh, give them information about how to best protect themselves. Right, right. Yeah. Now, and respect that. A lot of people are, as you said earlier, I, people seem to be uh, a little less stigmatized about mental health at the moment. Right, they're willing yeah. to reach out in one way or another more so than they have been mm-hmm. in the past. And when it comes to things like depression and things like anxiety, I'm wondering if the people who are being mindful of their mental health right now, if there's a way for them to keep tabs on that in the sense that, you know, like COVID, we have a list of symptoms to look out for, you know, in case you get these flu-like symptoms, you lose your sense of taste, all these things, then you need to go and get a test. Right. If you're on the lookout for signs, symptoms of depression and anxiety, what might be some of those signs and symptoms that tell you you're on that path and should probably 
earlier rather than later reach out for some assistance? There's a number, right? When, when, it, when you're not yourself, you know, you're feeling more tired, you're feeling less interested in things, or you're more irritable. A lot of people don't realize that irritability can also be an early sign of depression or burnout. Um, if you have trouble sleeping, your sleep habits have changed, either you're sleeping too much or too little, your appetite has changed. That's a hard one to tell because, you know, we're, we're getting less activity, most of us, and everybody's like put on a COVID, you know, 10 pounds, or 15 yeah. pounds or 20 pounds. Or uh, maybe but, more. You know, yes. those are the, <laughs> yeah, maybe more. And so, so psychologists, that's kind of what we look for, you know, like what's changed? What's not you anymore? What feels different? And, and, uh, and a lot of people I find lately are just kind of pushing through and it's hard for them to discern, you know, what's just different now. A lot of people I find are just like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I've been kind of like, well, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's, let's do a little check and see. And, you know, when I kind of go through that little inventory with them, people are like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. And then... You know, one thing that a therapist can do with you is help you set some realistic goals and shift your thinking about uh, the pandemic. Like one thing I I really do is get people to focus on what they can still do versus what they can't do. I talked to quite a few people yesterday just about travel and everybody's missing travel. I think because we're coming on winter and there's no hope of a sun vacation. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... I just kind of focus on, you know, what a good vacation I'm going to have when this is all over because I skipped this years, and, uh, and, you know, getting outside, enjoying nature, I can still do that. So those are the sorts of things that you have to kind of focus on to sort of uh, get through this. One of the things that I really love is uh, that comedian that went viral this weekend, I don't know if you saw this, where she talked about her uh, goal list for 2020. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, then going through it, she's laughing about it all until she gets to her grandmother. Yes, yeah. yeah. So Robin Shaw, that's the name of the comedian. So she did this Twitter post, and her 2020 goal list was things like be more social, right. travel more, <laughs> make more money. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just sort of embodies everything that's 2020. And what I've been doing this whole year is, like, you're not going to feel normal this year. Like, so much has disappeared and gone. And, you know, we have to try and find the humor where we can. We have to figure out new ways of doing things. But the main thing, the main key to sort of getting through this is lowering expectations. And sort of honoring what your body is telling. Your body never lies. So we can look for all these signs and symptoms. But if you wake up in the morning, you know, feeling terrible or feeling not yourself and not, you know, happy and ready to go, take a close look. Don't Your mind will say everything's okay, everything's okay. But your body will tell you, no, it's not. No, we're not feeling right. really good here. And so for me, the body never lies. And I remember uh, reading this years ago, and I'm not sure how true it is, but but Steve Jobs used to wake up every morning and ask himself, Steve, are you happy? And if the answer was no too many days in a row, he would start to change things. 
And, you know, that's not a bad uh, rule of thumb to, to, you know, how you approach your life. You know, a lot of people say, oh, my job is good, but it's sucking the life out of them. You know, it's a poor fit for them, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they tell themselves it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And that's not necessarily the case. So listen to your body and how it's feeling and because it's it's always trying to keep you in balance you know it tells you when you need it tells you when you're thirsty and you need to drink it tells you when you're hungry and you need to eat and it tells you when somebody's messing with you and you're feeling angry so um you know emotions just like hunger and thirst are there to keep us in balance and so uh i always trust what my emotions tell me more than what my head tells me so that's that's a good sort of quick check-in when you're feeling down. That makes perfect sense. And I think, I think also when it comes to, especially the job thing, you know, so many people are just grateful to be still employed and to still have a job in this time that I think they're mm-hmm. willing to, uh, move past or set aside or ignore any of the signs that might indicate that that job isn't a good fit for them and that it is sucking the life out of them. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I've spent a lot of time with people this year working on that. And, you know, especially if you're working for a company that expects you to be as productive uh, as you were pre-pandemic and you just transfer to working from home. But, you know, you've got kids at home. Uh, you know, your child care might be spotty. Uh, you don't have ideal working conditions. It's You, you have to sort of... Um, change things. I was reading yesterday that apparently Google, uh, to help prevent uh, employee burnout, now has uh, no meetings week. And so you have, you know, you get to take weeks here and there where there are no meetings and you don't have to be on Zoom. That's brilliant, right? That's actually a a really good plan because we often get interrupted so much. Um, I think that's like the hard thing. Yeah. With this, you know, it's nice to have the flexibility and not be able to commute. There's been some good things about working remotely. And, you know, a lot of companies are going to let their employees work remotely um, and live where they want to live. I think that's kind of exciting. That's like way behind the times. But, you know, we haven't had the time to really um, have good setups at home for that either. So everybody's kind of like um, jerry-rigging their situation so yes that's true uh, i have a standing desk right now on top of a number of cases of empty beer uh which has (laughs) done well for me so far but is probably going to have to find a more permanent solution at some point yep there's lots of good lots of good things there the the home office people are doing very well this year (laughs) selling lots of good equipment to everybody but yeah having a good setup and a quiet space to work or um, you know, a lot of people I work with, uh, I've been telling them to invest in some noise canceling headphones too, that they can wear and then just play some, uh, wallpaper like music in the background and turn the noise canceling on so that, uh, you have a little bit more quiet and can focus. It's, it's draining trying to, to work at home. Yeah. Yeah. When there's a lot of noise. <laughs> I get that. I Although, like it, but I like I lived in a <laughs> all through grad school. I was well trained for this. I feel like grad school prepared me for the pandemic. Pretty I'm well. See a lot yes. of just, yeah. <laughs> I'm the same way, but I find that it's uh, you know if I need 
some time with no distractions from family members walking in, I will just play Bob Dylan music because they don't like it. And it works as sort of ah. a, you know, keep them out of the room temporarily repelling. Take them away. You know? Yes. <laughs> so I will put on Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks and listen to that. And that's 35 nice. minutes of solo time to work on whatever it is. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, we all find our ways, right? So it's finding those little things that are going to help us um, get the work done that we need to get done. So for sure. So there's upsides and downsides. So, so my the way I kind of approach a lot of this, and I have for years, is anytime I hate something or it bugs me, uh, I find a way to get rid of it or do it differently. So, um, you know, playing telephone tag with uh, clients, you know, and trying to, you know, read out all the appointments I had available drove me a bit crazy. So about 15 or so years ago, I think I was one of the first people to do online booking that I knew of. Okay. Uh, and I was like, oh, God, that's so good. People can see my calendar. They love it. I love it. They can move their appointments around without calling me. Um, you know, so I, for me, because I like tech, uh, I often look for a technical solution to doing things more quickly. I dictate emails um, rather than write them out because it's like, you know, a tenth of the time to, to dictate a quick email. I dictate text. Um, there's, I don't know, I can't think of all the things I do. I've done workshops on how to do this for therapists and right. streamline their workflow. But, you know, I often go there, but there's other ways to do it too. And, and uh, uh, you know, either delegating it or deciding, you know, something's on your to-do list too many times, uh, you know, maybe it doesn't actually need to get done. Like if, if one item has been on your to-do list for the last six months and you haven't gotten to it, maybe just get rid of it. So I'm going to tell my boss that right now. (laughs) Those six items that she reminded me about that have been on my to-do list since January, I'm just going to ignore them. Uh, Clearly, you don't need to do them, right? That's right. (laughs) They've been on there that long. They're low priority. So, (laughs) you know, know, honestly, like a lot of what I've done to just help people with their mood through the pandemic is this workflow kind of stuff and and looking at how we what are you procrastinating on is there a way to sort of help you do some of the things you don't want to do but mostly can you get dump a bunch of this stuff what's non-essential and uh you know sort of hacking away we need time you know honestly we're really only built to work about 20 hours a week (laughs) (laughs) after that we're just kind of like staring at the wall you know and and uh you know we haven't really evolved for uh, you know, the kind of work that we're doing these days. So we need to take care of our bodies and sort of honor that and, and find better ways of doing things. For sure. I like it. And I like the yeah. notion of let's all move to a 20 hour work week so that uh, yeah. we can do 20 really quality, solid hours of good work and then, uh, you know, sleep more or go outside. Oh more. yeah. I, I went to a writing workshop once, and uh, uh, his name is Charlie Gilkey. He did a talk on um, writing a book and whether it's, like, better to take two weeks off and, you know, or a month off and just go full tilt on your book or whether to work on it two hours a day and and two hours a day, one. And most of the research that he reviewed, um, that's that consistent kind of solid block of practice that you do and... Uh, 
You know, if you write two hours a day in a month or two, you'll have a book. And with that, I'm off to start writing a book. At the rate of two hours a day, it should be ready for publication at around the time we begin Season 2 of Mindful in the spring. Thank you to Dr. Christine Coral for closing out Season 1. And remember that Dr. Coral, along with the other participants in this first season, will be co-hosting a webinar December 10th at noon Eastern. If you have any questions for Dr. Coral or another of our podcast participants, email them to me at media at cpa.ca. My name is Eric Bowman. I'm the writer, producer, editor, and host of Mindful. Our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor. The second season will be here in the spring, and in the interim, we will release some one-off special episodes whenever I come across something that interests me enough to find Canada's experts on that subject. Thank you to everyone who tuned into this first season of Mindful, and don't forget our COVID in the Canadian winter December 10th webinar, the details of which are in the show notes. Happy holidays and be safe this winter.